Who do you know that has absolutely no interest in Jesus? I mean, I know I'm talking to a wide variety of people and people watching online or maybe watching this later, someone shared it with you, but, but my guess is that I'm talking to a lot of people that are at least compelled by Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're interested in Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're far from Jesus, but, but somebody brought you here and, and you're listening. My guess is that I'm not talking to many people that are like aggressively against God and the idea of who he is. But if I am, if, if that's you, I am thrilled, thrilled that you're here and listening to this. You're going you're gonna to hear why throughout today. But back to that original question. Who do you know that has absolutely no interest in Jesus? Today is about an opportunity that is expressing a raw heart. And certainly not just mine. I, I know that I feel this way. I stirred, I am stirred with this passion. But the more I've talked to people, some people who I'm going to name drop throughout today's message, because it's not just me, this is something that God is stirring, a heart for people that are far from him. It's kind of like this. I got this easel. I brought it back a couple of weeks. I had it, and uh, I realized that as I write quickly, my, the quality of my handwriting goes down. So fortunately for all of us, I pre-wrote the words, so there you go. Now it's much more beautiful handwriting. As you think about the people of our world, the people that we encounter, how they view God can be broken down like this. If you're in our women's study lately, you may recognize this because this is how that study is being broken down and how are we engaging people with our faith. It's kind of a list of how people may view God. The first one is legalistic, and you heard Pastor Scott talk about how, how he had that experience in his back. And fortunately, through the experience of this church and the love of this church, it, it broke the back of legalism. But legalism is a view of God that says he is only interested in our performances. He's only interested in what we do. In fact, frankly, I don't think God's made enough things for us to do. So legalistic people are going to please God by saying, we're going to come up with more and more that we can do. And then there's the biblical approach, the people that have a biblical view of God as, as far as his character and his values and what he tells us is true about him and his world and his plan for the world. And then you have a sympathetic view of God, people that may not be interested exactly in following Jesus and opening up their Bibles and going to Bible studies, but, but these are people that if you engage them in a conversation about faith, they're not going to immediately shut you down. They'll be interested. They'll be sympathetic to the idea of who God is. Moving on, of course, next is apathetic. I just don't care. I'm just not interested in that. They'll be interested in any other conversation you may want to have with them. Not really about faith. Just don't care. Moving on, next they're cynical. Now, if you try to ask them about what do you believe is true? What do you know about God? They're not just going to say, I don't really care. That's not really something I think about. Now they're going to say, I do think about it, and I'm, I'm not in favor of, of the God of the Bible and the God that, you, that, that matters of faith that you say you believe. And ultimately, all going all the way down to anti, aggressive, against. Now, please understand me. These are categories, and anytime we label people, it can be dangerous, right? We're not trying to label people. We're trying to say that, that these are, are groups of mentalities about how people can approach God. And the reason we're doing that is because the efforts of the church, 
what we're doing right now and what we do throughout the week, what our staff represents, what so many of you are busy and hands-on involved with, the amount of people that you can reach are generally within those two groups. The people that have a biblical idea of God and the people that have a sympathetic idea of God. That's who, in large part, most of our ministries are able to reach, at least as they currently exist. So therefore, there's a gap between the people that our ministries, our sermons, our small groups, our connections, that they're able to reach, and the apathetic, and the cynical, and the anti. And this isn't just a a set of groups of them. This is a growing them. This is a growing amount of people in our community, and in our schools, and in our workplaces. There's a gap between what we're doing, what these words, what our intentions, what our efforts of love and care, there's a gap between the people they're able to reach and the many, many more that Jesus died to save that we're not able to reach. That's what we're talking about today. That heart, that passion for that gap. And it's not just them, those people out there, it's a growing them. And in fact, more than that, it's some people that used to be us. And it's breaking our hearts because this is where we stop thinking about those people as labels and start thinking about them as names. Daughters, neighbors, classmates, teachers, bosses, employees. I want to be very clear here. When we're talking about this, I am not talking about Christianity as losing influence. I'm not talking about a loss of fanfare. I'm not even talking about decreasing numbers on a chart. What we're talking about when we're talking about this is eternal destinies. I am not after Christianity growing in influence. I'm after people being saved by Jesus and the gospel. And so to the extent that we're less and less able to do that, we're missing people. There's people that Jesus died to save that we're not able to connect with. This is about eternal destinies, heaven and the victory of Christ's kingdom, and hell and the eternity separated from God. That's what we're talking about. And like I said, increasingly, what we are able to do, what we do on a majority of the basis, time, is not reaching those people, but you know them. Even more specifically than that, many of the people that you're thinking about when I first asked that question, who do you know that has no interest in Jesus? They're a client of yours. They're in your workplace alongside of you. And truly, I've been very, very fueled in prayers and in conversations with different people that I'm going to talk about today, fueled for the efforts of this church, if that's true, to help you and support you in connecting with those people. I'm not just talking about how to evangelize. That may be part of it, how to share the good news. Absolutely, at some point that could be a part of it. But how do you live your life on purpose in connection with them? Because even though these people may never ever enter the doors or the ministries or the website of the church, they're just not interested. You couldn't drag them here. You're in connection with them. And you're the church. So we need to shift that all of our ministries in our weekends are only able to reach these people. Not necessarily the case if you're in relationship with these people. All of this is about the heart 
for the lost. The heart for the lost. Now, in case you're an outline filler-outer, I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to put in that four-letter word there. Because then very quickly after that, the heart for the lost involves equipping the saints. It involves equipping the saints. Pastor Dick Foth and I were talking about this recently, and he asked one of his friends a question. What do you think of when you think of the term equipping the saints? It's a biblical idea of of what the church should be doing. And, And his friend replied to him, well, I know what my pastor thinks it means. My pastor thinks equipping the saints means only that he is supposed to and the church is supposed to give me the resources and the abilities to lead a Bible study. I'm supposed to do the work of the ministry. And this guy told Pastor Foth, well, that's right. That's not wrong. We should be doing the works of the ministry and student ministry and Timber Kids and VBS and connection groups. Yes. But he said, it's not only that. Equipping the saints also means that my church is able to come alongside of me, support me, give me wisdom and ability in how to then go live the rest of my life 24-7 with the job that God has called me to do. That's the heart for the lost, equipping the saints, not just for the ministries. This weekend, it's all going to be about a both and. It's not, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Of course, Doing the work of the ministry is important, but also how do we equip the church to go and be the church, not just come to church? This heart for the lost involves equipping the saints in their real job. My friend friend Brian James over here, he was in one of these conversations with me. He's a Timberline deacon, and we were meeting together after a deacon meeting, and we were just talking about this, this heart, this passion for for the people that we're currently able to reach and those that we're not. And one of the things he shared was that that one of the reasons I want to be good and knowledgeable and competent at my current job, at at my place of employment, is so that I could then spend a lot more of my time and my priority and my energy focusing on what he called my real job. Because at the end of the day, my real job is following Jesus with all my heart, my soul, my strength. That's my real job. I can succeed at my occupation and completely fail at my real job. But if I do my real job, I'm doing what God's called me to do in every facet of my life. And it's also about the church's seating capacity and the church's sending capacity. If you're an outline filler-outer, please don't hate me with all these points really quick. (laughs) Uh, There's actually only one more for the entire rest of the message, so there you go. The church's seating capacity and sending capacity, they're both important, okay? I've said today's gonna be a lot about a yes and. The church's seating capacity, you gotta catch this, because I'm gonna be saying this throughout today. The church's seating capacity, our ability to gather together, to invite people in, is part of the model that Jesus invited his disciples to. Come and see, come be with me, come do ministry. Let's be connected, let's be in relationship together. So yes, that means people. That means people coming and gathering together, worshiping, doing the work that God has called us to. And it's also the church's sending capacity. 
a heart for the lost, a heart for those that no matter how good we do our connections and our worship and our sermons, there are some people that are going to go, you couldn't drag me to Timberline, Windsor. Then how are we going to reach them? It's not going to be efforts that focus on our seating capacity. It's going to be efforts that focus on our sending capacity. It's a both and thing. Today we're asking questions like, is building an audience at church the same thing as growing a church? Is attendance increased? Or maybe even these days we could say, is returning to pre-COVID attendance numbers, is that the same thing as mission accomplished? And if not, what else is there? What else do we need to be looking at? The more we ask questions like this right now, the more I think we're tying into the passion, the heart for the gap, who we're currently reaching, and the many, many lost. This is all about the heart for the lost. And in this, we're tapping into something that Paul very clearly felt a lot of emotion he very truly had. We could mention Acts 17, 16, where, where Paul is walking around Athens and he looks at a culture and a people full of idol worshipers and he says, my heart was provoked within me. This is language of emotion, guys. This isn't just, I walked around and saw all this blasphemy and I got angry. No, he's saying, look at these people. They don't know what they're doing. They're worshiping futility, man-made stuff instead of something that'll truly meet them where they are and has power. In Philippians 3.18, Paul says, many of those around us watching our witness, he says this quote, I tell you, even with tears, they walk through life as enemies of the cross. Paul's not gearing up for a battle against unbelievers. He sees unbelievers and it makes him weep the heart for the lost. And then there's this, Romans 9, first three verses. Again, Paul, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's unbelievable. That's honestly convicting to me because I can sit here and tell you I have a heart, a passion for the lost. Does it go to that level though that I honestly feel because that's where that first verse kind of plays in. God's gonna be my witness right, near, right here. If what I'm saying is just blowing smoke or hyperbole, then guess who's gonna judge me? God's gonna judge me. But I'm calling on his name to authenticate what I'm actually telling you right now, Paul says. And then what he follows that with. So does that all underscore that what he's about to say is probably true? <laughs> I call upon God to judge me if this isn't true. Okay, well, what you're about to say is probably true. And he says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish for the people that are far from God, my brothers. To the point that I actually wish I could be in their place, that I could be cut off from Christ and that they may be welcomed in. That's incredible depth of passion. And he's not the first of God's people to feel that depth of heartache from waywardness. All the way back to Exodus chapter 32, you got Moses. 
in front of the people of Israel, heartbroken, because after he came down off the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments, as the people are being led out of Egypt, saved from Pharaoh's army, all the great things God is doing for his people, what do they do? They turn and create a golden calf to worship it and say, you brought us out of Egypt, golden calf. It's crazy. And it is a great offense against the God that they are clearly betraying. And Moses says this to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Both Paul and Moses, I wish I could trade places with them. My heart is so broken from their waywardness that I wish I could just substitute myself being cut off from God in their place. It hurts. I can't do anything about it, and it's breaking my heart. Have you ever been there with someone? If you have, I understand that all of this is very raw, very powerful. Is there a child, a family member, a dear friend, someone that you just find it impossible to bear that they are far from God? You would give anything if possible, even yourself in their place. But you've got to know, not only is that not possible, to give yourself in that place, it's not necessary. Because that heart, that passion that you have, you know where that comes from? The God that did do that. If you're wondering, why do I have this, this burden that, that this person, this son, this daughter, this husband, this wife, this neighbor, whatever it looks like, this person that I'm so passionate about in my relationship with them, why do I have this burden to the point where I wish we could just trade places it's because that burden is pointing to the gospel. That burden is telling you the God that gives you that heart and that passion already did all that was necessary. He did switch places with them. He did bear their sin so that all they needed to do would be accept his act on their behalf. He did do that. It is finished. It is all that's needed for those that are far from God to be reconciled with him. If only they'll just accept it. That's what we're after, guys. We're not after bigger attendance. We're not after bigger fanfare or influence. We're after people that have understood who Jesus is and what he's done for them. For purposes of clarity, when we're talking about the heart for the lost, the lost can be an unbeliever. It can be someone that's aggressively against it could be the religious lost. Jesus encountered those people quite a lot in his time. People that would say, I'm following either the laws and that's who God is, or I'm following the idea of some kind of standard and some kind of belief about God. But when it comes to who Jesus is and, and the word of God, I'm rejecting all that. That's the religious lost. It could be the distant wounded. It could be the cultural Christian. People that say, I'm, I'm Christian because I just grew up in that environment. Increasingly rare these days, but still around. 
And even though we have this diagram here earlier that, that refers to categories of people, you and I both know they're not just categories. They're souls. They're friends. They're people we legitimately care about, and we're not okay with their waywardness. So yes, I'm personally passionately stirred by the names that I've thought of at the very beginning. And I'm seeking more and more and more of God's heart for the lost. And so are many others at this Timberline Windsor family. It's not just a sermon point. It's not just a pastoral stirring. It's people in this church family that are saying, yep, I'm feeling that stirring too. I think God's doing something. And it's not just you and I that feel this way. It's not just the heroes of the faith that feel this way. We have this kind of heart for the lost because God, when he moves in the heart of a believer, he puts his heart in us. We see the world as he sees it. We see other people as he sees them. The God that was, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. The God that is, Jesus on the cross, Luke 23, when he is being murdered and tortured and mocked, he cries out to God for help, but not for himself. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the God that is to come, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is the God that pursues the sinner while they are still walking away from him. He is the God that searches tirelessly for the lost. This is why he will use anything and everything that you go through in your life in order to reach you, in order to get you to pay attention, in order for you to turn to him. He will leave the 99 to go after the one. This is the God that we serve. And we admire and we're inspired by Paul's passion, right? We hear a guy that's, that's just crying out with great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And we go, wow, Paul, you're really passionate. That's exactly what our God did. All of that passion, all of that inspiration we get in looking at Paul should just show us. And it's even a watered down version of the passion in the heart of our God. This is all about the heart for the lost. It's the heart that God has for the lost and that he gives to you and me. And in a way, this is nothing new. It's nothing we've just discovered. It's nothing we opened up our Bibles and found, well, look at this. Wow, we didn't really know that. This is something that isn't new. But you and I both know if we had a name in mind at the beginning of the message, it may not be new, but it's present. It's acutely suffered. It's right in front of us right now. And it's a relentless sorrow. And so even though it's not new, it's present, it's immediate, and it's pressing, and we're simply not okay with it. If you come to the point where you're okay with the lost, you've got to ask yourself, do you understand the gospel? I'm going to borrow a little perspective question from TSM. It's our Timberline Student Ministries, and I love this question that they've formed over the years that, that we're going to steal and we're going to borrow as a church right now. Because if we can answer the question, who do we have a heart for? Who are we supposed to reach? The lost. Great. 
where are they? So that we can go where they are. That's what God did, right? The incarnation, leaving the 99 to go after the one. If God is a God that goes where the lost are, that's what we should do. So where are they? Where are the lost people? I think many of you already have at least some answers to that question. They're your employee. They're your client. They're at your workplace around the water cooler. And I understand, we understand they're also in your classrooms with you. They're also in your homes. They're also in your neighborhood and, and maybe even your very own family. How hard that is when that's the reality. And we're going to talk about those realities, those spaces in the coming weeks. But today we're talking about how one of the large block areas that lost people are, people you're thinking about, is in the workplace. That's where they're at. So a handful of days ago, a few of us sat down with, with some friends here at Timberline Windsor and, and had dinner. And, and as a church, as from a pastoral perspective and a missions office perspective, we said, there's this stirring that we're feeling and we're talking about. You're business people. You're in the workplace. We want to know, if you were us, if you were your church, what would you do? What do you need from us? How can we better help you? Through all of this, we're seeing how this passion is a stirring, not just in us. It's in the people of the church. And we're just trying to listen and pay attention to that. And we recognize that this heart for the lost isn't just about workplace evangelism. We're not just talking about how can you bring conversations about faith into the workplace. Yes, that may be part of it for some of us in some scenarios, but we're also talking about how can the church help you with business support and resourcing and strategizing how natural relationships that you form in your life can be a gateway. We live in Colorado. We need no reminder that marijuana can be called a gateway drug, right? Something that leads to more. How can your relationships that you're forming in your workplaces be a gateway? How can it be an opening to more, deeper conversations, more authentic relationships, maybe even eventually conversations on faith? Just as discipleship touches every facet of our lives, we're seeking better ways to equip business people in their workplaces so that they can be focused on both how I do my job intentionally to honor God and how I do my real job, as Brian said. There's a lot more people that you're going to touch when you leave the ministries of the church, the gatherings together, the ministries, the services. There's a lot more people that we're going to go out and touch that the ministries of the church right now can't. That's one of the main places people are at. People that Jesus died to save. We're not walking back anything. <laughs> I gotta go back to this, it's a yes and. I don't want you to think that all the ministries of the church were falling all, all over ourselves in repentance going, we've been focusing too much on discipleship. No, that's important. Because how many of you know if we're gonna have a healthy sending capacity, you probably need people descend. <laughs> and they got to be healthy. And they got to be strong. And they got to be founded. We're not just trying to send people, but they have no idea what they're doing or what they're founded upon. It's a both and thing. We're a coming and a going church. We're a come and see and let me tell you about church. 
So we're not walking back or abandoning anything, the local church and, and the care for seating capacity. We're just hearing from many of you, hearing from many of you that are in touch with these people that we're not currently engaging with. And we're saying, how can we help you reach them, care for them, be in relationship with them, be in your real job? So I know especially how the last few weekends have gone when we've talked about standalones and stuff like that. I know that one of the things we tend to do as a church is, is talk about the heart for something and then talk about here's how we practically can live it out. And if you're waiting for that, what's, what's the pitch? What's the draw? I got to tell you, there isn't going to be one this weekend. I'm not inviting you to a program. Not yet, at least. Because I want to know, we want to know, is this stirring really not primarily from the sermon, but it's from the seats? Is this stirring really from the Holy Spirit welling up in the people of God beyond just some program that we can come up with? Because if it is, it's not just another program that we can do and a good church strategy. We're not interested in gaining people towards this church. We're interested in gaining people towards Jesus but if, if what is stirring is not just us, then it's an effort of multiplication, not addition. Addition is efforts where we do more and more. We want more people in our connections. We want to reach more people. Those are efforts of addition. Let me explain to you the effort of multiplication. It's like this. Um, this blew my mind uh, when I thought about it. I heard about it in a book called Gaining by Losing. And it's like this. The setting is this. You got 30 days. No more, no less. You got 30 days. I was, I was a former math teacher, so I was really kind of embarrassed that I didn't really know this scenario, but I'm hooked on it now. 30 days. You got two options. You can choose to receive $10,000 a day, every day, for those 30 days, or start with a penny on the first day and just double whatever you have every day. If you already know the answer, hold on to it for a second. We get so excited when we have the answer in advance. I knew this one. <laughs> After a couple of weeks, halfway in, roughly, it's kind of a little ridiculous. Okay, one guy has how much? 140000 So he's putting a down payment on an investment property and buying a Tesla. And the other guy, he's got a whopping $163. Enough for a plate at Chimney Park, maybe some lumber these days. But around week three, something changes. Around week three, a little after that, first guy's got how much? 210K, buying another Tesla. But now the other guy is starting to catch up. He's at 20K. If you complete it all the way through the rest of the month, by the time it ends, the first guy has how much? $300,000. Second guy's at 10.7 million. Okay, maybe math isn't your thing. I started talking about math and you're like, nah, I hate math. Fine, how about, how about biology? Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. It's just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. It produces a plant and a harvest. That's an effort of multiplication. Do we want to be a church and an effort that is about gaining more and more grains of wheat Addition efforts. 
Or do we want to be a church that strategically says, how can we give of ourselves and what can we invest in that's going to be an effort of multiplication? That's why we're not seeking at the moment to invite people to a program. For us right now, perspective-wise, it may be a bad idea. You may be saying, but you got to give me something to do. But we're saying, look, that's an effort of addition. That's what that looks like, smells like. An effort of let's get more people involved in this program. Right now, what we're really trying to see is, is this stirring you? Because then you don't need me or us to keep fueling you for your passion to do this. You just need to go, how do I turn into a plant and produce many seeds? And if that's where you're at, I promise you, you will. You will follow up. You'll send us an email. You'll maybe, those of you engaging online, you'll comment in the comment section, I'm there, how can I follow up on this? You won't be able to sleep. Okay, you won't be able to think about anything else. The books that you pick up, the, the books that you choose to read or listen to in the car or on your bike ride or whatever it looks like, all of a sudden, everywhere you turn, God's gonna be stirring something about this. And if that's where you're at, let's talk. We're ready for you. We wanna help you. But that's when we've identified, is this our passion that we're inviting you into or is this something God's stirring in you? Is this an effort of addition or multiplication? And in case it's not clear yet, all of this is about the heart for the lost. And as Pastor Patrick comes up, as always, we need to look a little closer at Jesus and his real job. What was his occupation? What did Jesus do? He was a carpenter, he was a healer, he was a teacher. What was his real job? Bringing the message of salvation and new life in the kingdom to people. He was strategic in every facet of his life and how he engaged with people, but all of that served his real job. The thing he must do no matter what. And Jesus's heart and passion for the lost spans all the time and all the distance from 2,000 years ago in Israel to this room and this video right now to you. His heart for the lost, yes, it's universal. He's a big God. He can have that kind of passion, but it's also personal to you right now. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. And if as we're talking about people that are lost or are wayward from God, if you're going, well, that's kind of me. You need to know Jesus is passionate, intimate about a relationship with you. He accepts you exactly where you are and just calls you to accept him and his love and what he did for you, bringing you into relationship with him. And when our God, God Almighty, God of all creation and all of history, when he chose, it is time for me to come to be flesh and blood to the earth and deliver the message of good news. How did he do it? What was his plan? He could have set up a government, right? And proclaimed in laws and regulations and speeches, this is the way of the kingdom. He didn't do that. I mean, I'm kind of flabbergasted. He didn't go to his own temple. He didn't go to Jerusalem primarily. He went to fishermen, tax collectors, politicians, people in the workplace. And he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to disciple you. That's the come and gather part. 
I'm going to teach you who God is and how to worship him. And then I'm going to send you out. I'm going to scatter you like seeds along the path and you're going to produce great fruit. That's how he chose to do it. We should model that. We should have that kind of heart for the lost. Let's pray together. God, I pray that in these next moments we would very seriously consider the words of our prayers. Because we're about to pray for a simple prayer. Give us a heart for the lost. But I want to be very careful and I want everybody hearing my voice to be very careful right now because if that's what you pray for, it might actually happen. And you might actually find yourself walking down a path in the next few days, months, weeks, seasons of sorrow and anguish that doesn't stop. So if that's not what you want, don't pray this prayer. Because God, as we look to you and we look at your heart for the lost, you're not neutral or apathetic or uninterested about those that are far from you. You care so deeply. And if we ask for that same kind of heart, we need to know what's coming. But God, if we want to follow a God that says, I will teach you to be fishers of men. I will teach you how to go scatter this seed, this good news in everything that you do, in your real jobs, in following me, then God, we can't say anything else but give us your heart for the lost. And of course, God, if there's anybody here in person or watching online that needs to accept your heart for the lost, may they know that you offer it freely and unconditionally because of your work on the cross. It is finished. It is paid for. We are both in this life and eternally saved and freed because of you, Jesus. Amen.